Cheers. Cheers, man. Thanks for coming into town. Episode 00001. What are we drinking? Redbreast 12. Irish whiskey. It's lunch. We know that technology never gets done without whiskey. That's right. We got to start this way. (laughs) That's right. So let's talk some uh, smart city stuff. Let's do it. All right. Today we have some other friends of mine that y'all haven't met before. Uh, Steve Dye, who is Deputy City Manager, City of Grand Prairie, Chief Operating Officer, former police chief. So whenever I was a little bit worried that I had done something wrong, I, I could go to Rotary Club meeting and say, Steve, I'm not sure exactly how this works. I'm asking for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. And he would say, uh, you know, just just drive around to the back of the police station and check yourself in. Um, it, it never hurts to know the police chief, right? It, it never hurts to know the police chief. So Great friend and you, you have. And, you know, Jason, most people might think that you're actually telling a joke there. I know. Well, no, the first few people that actually watch us that, that know me well enough, they're going to say, I 100% believe that. So, uh, and then Greg Gessner, city councilman, city of Grand Prairie. So Grand Prairie nestled in between Dallas and Fort Worth. You got what? A couple hundred thousand people living there now. Close uh, to it. Yes, sir. Probably hit 200,000. Maybe at this next census, we'll, we'll know for sure. What time? Maybe June or so? Probably September, but yeah, September? We're, okay. we're right at 200,000 and growing. Right at 200,000. If I remember right, there was some idea that by 2025 or 2030, that would turn into a half a million people. You know, the estimates differ. I think when we top out, we'll probably definitely be over 300, maybe close to 350. Don't know that we'll get to 500, but certainly we'll probably add another 100 to 200,000 people, you know, before it's all said and done. And and your border... Dallas and Arlington so you know if you ever see the flyovers of the Cowboys game on Sunday night football or whatever you're some of that's going through Grand Prairie I actually I grew up there so I know the town quite well Um, I had the fortunate experience of actually running for public office there nine years ago and I thank God every day that I lost by 50 votes because I I don't want their job their job sucks Um, but they're, they're good at it, and I'm not. So, um, Simon, you're founder of RG Nuts. Something like that. Some, something Some days like that. I founder. Other days I think I just take out the trash, you know, clean up the, cl- clean up the room from all the alcohol that's left over from engineering, you know, doing engineering, since I'm no longer a real engineer now. <laughs> that's, how, that's how things actually get solved in most cases. And, Reed, aside from growing your hair out, what do you do? Uh, that's it. I only cut my hair in between the moments I see you in real life. So oh. it's been uh, it's been almost uh, God. What is it? A year and a half? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It was uh, the halcyon days of Samsung. Yeah, this is what your hair looks like after a year and a half. Zoom calls all the time and Teams meetings. So yeah, um, a few days ago I was in a in a meeting where Greg was talking about a city bond election that they had coming up. And I was talking to you guys about kickstarting this podcast with, a, you know, talking about smart cities, some of our stuff that we've, in different parts of our life, we've gone over different concepts from a technology perspective. I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we got people that were actually having to make budgetary decisions and understand what the drivers are? Because I feel like, and, and I actually hate saying I feel like, I know for a fact, I don't feel like that's a very millennial thing to say, I, you know, everything's your feelings. I don't really I I don't have feelings so I know that there's been a lot of false starts with smart city stuff and it's such a broad topic it means so many different things so Greg was talking about this bond election that that you guys have coming up in early May and there's some things in around that and it's not titled smart city but you know walking through the process of how you actually allocate budget and how you determine hey we need to do this provide this city service that costs some money there's a funding component to it, right? Correct. So, Greg, maybe kickstart us with a little, you know, give us a high level why you even have a bond election this cycle and what, what can you pay for with that versus tax dollars because your budgets actually drive some of the stuff that we do for a living. Yeah. Right. Well, what this bond election is for is gives us an economic development tool that we've not ever had. Um, 
if approved by the voters, it gives us the ability to issue bonds for development projects, in particular, hotel and conference centers, restaurants, but it also gives us the ability to revitalize our downtown Main Street, take old properties, maybe that need some rehabilitation. We could take a look at purchasing those properties if they fit into our larger, broader development scheme. And it gives us the ability to control the zoning on it too if the city owns it. This is not necessarily just one lump sum uh, issuance of 75 million in, in bonds, but we wanna use this as an economic tool to be competitive in the, in the DFW Metroplex, but also quite frankly in the state and in the nation. Other cities have a quarter cent sales tax, like Arlington, they use a quarter cent of their sales tax for economic development. Other cities have a local economic development corporation. So this will put us in competition or give us the ability to compete with our our surrounding DFW cities and the state of Texas to draw, to, draw, to draw some of that economic development that our residents have been asking for for quite some time. We've got property taxes and sales taxes, and that's the majority of the funding that goes to our general fund, which pays for all the, the general obligations that we have throughout the city, the police, the fire, the public works. Um, but this gives us another ability to create an economic revenue stream because the majority of these projects we will review if we determine they're a good fit for our city and we want to either partner with or uh, attract them to our city will have additional revenue components to them. It'll be a new development, a new improvement, such as a building, a restaurant or a hotel that will in increase or add to the property tax base and also have a sales and use tax that will increase the or, or bring additional sales tax revenue. And that can always give some relief to the general fund uh, and also the individual and business property owners in town. Hmm. It, you, so you said, you had said it, uh, there's a list of things that the residents have been asking for. Do you just at a really high level? Can you speak to those? Yeah, we, we have been so underserved in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, particularly for retail and restaurants. Um, this gives us an opportunity. One of the projects that we are working on right now, we're in negotiations with Stir. Jason may be familiar with Stir and Vidora, uh, Loop 9 Barbecue and Sirius Pizza. And those are uh, the development when that, if, if we can get the funding to do that, will be built in our Epic Central right next door or in the same proximity as where Chicken and Pickle is under construction right now. Our residents have, have since I was born and raised here, and Jason can attest to this, if we really wanted a, a nice or decent restaurant, we, we pretty much had to leave town, go to Arlington or Dallas or Cedar Hill or Irving just to get a nice sit down restaurant. This will change the dynamics uh, of, our, of our city. 161 was the catalyst that, that started it all off. Uh, we've seen some, some great activity economic-wise with the uh, uh, building of IKEA. Uh, and we are, we are very pleased. We just got notice about a month and a half ago from IKEA itself that the Grand Prairie location is the number two uh, in terms of sales in the nation for their IKEA stores. So that'll tell you uh, the city of Grand Prairie, not only the residents, uh, but this is a destination location and it can support large projects such as Ikea, hotels, conferences, and restaurants. Thank you. So aside from the restaurants, aside from the hotels, I mean, what is the destination? Kind of fast forward, what do I need a hotel room for? A resident, if I want to go and eat a meal, eat a steak and get some barbecue. That's one thing you talked about, but what were the, what's the drivers behind the hotels? Well, what's really driving this behind the hotels is because it's part of our Epic Central Park. And we have the ability, if, because of the close proximity to our park land, the state of Texas allows us to keep 100% of the hotel motel and sales tax that is generated by that hotel conference. It comes back to the city instead of going to the state. So we keep that full eight and a quarter percent uh, plus the 10% hot tax or the hotel tax. Those will be additional resources we can use to pay the, the bonds off. 
you know, we've got a couple of very large corporations here in town, Lockheed Martin um, and, and Airbus. Uh, America, we used to be American Eurocopter. Yeah. They, they are always bringing people to town for conferences and meetings and training and long-term training. That would give us the ability to capture that business at our local hotel, conference center, and our local restaurants. So it's, there's, that's another area where we've been underserved. Are you, are you guys looking at a place like Orlando and saying like, hey, we could do that here as well if we had the infrastructure in place for it? Is that kind of the where you guys are going? You mean entertainment in terms of Orlando? I, uh, I, no, as far as like the conventions. I've flown into Orlando, and that's about all I know about <laughs> yeah. it. But, uh, uh, as far as the conventions go, like there's a huge hub for entertainment. For, uh, no, okay. we're looking for, for more of the corporate meetings, nothing like the big, huge national uh I think, Steve, you could, what, what have we settled on kind of on our conference room square footage? Uh, do you remember? Yeah, it'll be over 10,000 feet air conditioned usable. And I want to hit on a couple of points that council member Gessner made. First of all, you know, to the, the goal of, of any city, in my opinion, is to provide high level of daily services towards maintaining a good quality of life. So that could be public safety, that could be, you know, water, electricity, provisions, um, you know, good schools, great parks, libraries, you know, good streets, the whole nine yards. Well, to give our citizens, and, and by the way, local government is the most responsive level of any government that you'll ever find. Try calling somebody from the, the federal government or the state or even the county and getting them on the phone the same day. But you can do that with your city because the city touches more of your daily life, regardless of what city you live in, than any other level of government, which should also be the most responsive. So to, to do all of those great things takes money. You'd be surprised to know that the average homeowner in Grand Prairie pays $87 a month for all city services. So think about that for a minute. So for $87 a month on average in Grand Prairie, you get 24 seven police, fire, EMS, library, parks, streets, water, the list goes on and on. You know, environmental quality, code enforcement, that's a lot less than most people pay for their cable bill every month. So it's a pretty good value. And, and so we now, you know, to, to council members point, we have a lot of leakage where we have a lot of hotel nights and restaurants going into our contiguous cities. We wanna capture that business, particularly around Epic Central, but, but certainly with our corporate visitors, we wanna capture that, A, because that's a better level of service to our visitors to be closer in proximity to what they're visiting. And then B, let's use that revenue to fund these services for our citizens. And we, we pride ourselves on, on having a high level of service. And then finally to this bond election, you know, let's let the citizens speak. You know, what we are uh, in local government and really what every government should be, not always the case, but every, every government should allow those that they serve to set the priorities. So in, in Grand Prairie, we turned to our citizens with recommendations on where we think we can add value to our city, whether it's new restaurants, hotels, or, or neighborhoods, or businesses, but also we allow the community to set the priorities because we serve the community. So what we're asking for here is not to advocate on how citizens should vote, but be informed and go vote. All we want to do is educate you on the issue and then encourage you to go vote. How you vote is your prerogative because we serve you and we allow you to set the priorities. Uh, we're giving you some expert opinion on some things. And again, to council members point, you know, one of the things that's changed in business, businesses now look at location, but in the Metroplex, a lot of times locations may be fairly equal with proximity they also look at what type of incentive can they get from that city. So the incentive we gave Ikea has already been paid back, but that was a competitive advantage that we used to get Ikea. So, so this, this bond election or any uh, economic development deal, uh, if, if, the, if the entity looking at our city is in a competitive process with another city, so we're competing against another city, we wanna stand as, as, as firm as we can for our citizens to try to get that deal into our city, A, to have the amenity, and then B, to, to try to generate some revenue to fund our city services. So 
if you look at a city's ledger sheet, Grand Prairie, we're about half, half of our revenues come in from property taxes, both residential and commercial. About a quarter comes in from sales tax. And then about the other quarter comes in from fines and, and fees. So we try to keep that balanced. So we're not putting all of the, of the burden on our property taxes for homeowners. We're very protective about trying to mitigate those homeowner property taxes uh, the best we can. And one way to do that is through economic development that, it, that enhances and increases the revenue coming in from sales tax and commercial property tax. Okay. That's, that's great. I know living in the, I live in Chicago. So, or as I refer to it as the home of uh, cold weather and taxes. So uh, I know very well, <laughs> my personal experience, I would love if the city took that same uh, approach to uh, how to raise money for the city because it's, it's been crushing and crippling year over year over year. <laughs> not to, I don't get like right to a political thing. It's not anything against either side. I just, it, it's, uh, it's unfortunate when the, the money keeps going up that you got to pay out every single uh, you know, tax yeah. season. And then the city's in decline and there's like less services. And it would be great actually, I don't know if anyone knows, you said 87 bucks a month has this list of things that you get versus what a place like Chicago is getting. I would love to see how that, how that stacks up. It'd be pretty incredible. Most people ask their city to, uh, a lot of people ask their city to try to operate more like a business. And I think we do that. We uh, are very innovative. We're always looking for additional ways to create new revenue streams. And those new revenue streams coming back to the city to serve the citizens don't necessarily always have to be a property tax. If we can attract outsiders to the city of Green Prairie to spend their money, eat, shop, play, and uh, help us pay our bills here, that gives our citizens, our residents, a whole lot of relief on their own property taxes. Yeah, and a couple other things you guys might be interested in that are innovative. We actually work hand in hand with the city of Arlington, who has the Cowboys and the Rangers. We try to work with each other to complement each other. We try to bring things to the area, not just the city that the other city doesn't have. And then the other thing that I'm proud of, we have equity investments in some of these incentives. So if we're gonna incentivize a business to come into Grand Prairie, when the opportunity's right and it's a safe investment, we become an equity partner again, to lower the burden on the taxpayers uh, in their taxes. You know, if we, can, if we can be innovative and create other revenue streams, which most cities are not doing this, but we do that here because the way we look at it, hey, let's be smart businessmen and women, and let's bring in these additional revenue opportunities, again, that are safe investments, but now we put less and less burden on our, on our property tax, particularly our homeowners. So we're real proud of that. We're very entrepreneurial, uh, conservatively entrepreneurial in the way we do business. Now you keep on referring to the uh, property owners, the real estate property owners, primarily residential property owners. When you take this tact, what, how does that impact the value of their homes? As a, as a property owner, I'm always looking, one, I'm, I always want to minimize what my tax rate is on my home. But at the same time, I want the valuation of my home to go up. And right now in North Texas, actually all over Texas, home values are, there's very, very little inventory. Yeah, they're going through a roof. It's a great time to sell if, you, if you've got the asset. Well, so, and I think, I think you should, even if we had, were fully developed in Grand Prairie, I think you'd still be seeing that increase in property valuations across the Dallas-Fort Worth area simply because that's the market we're dealing with right now. Uh, everybody's moving here, or not everybody, but uh, we got a lot of folks moving from out of state to Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, we got so many things Chicago. in our favor. The weather, for one, other than if you take out the every 10-year equation of having ice mageddon or, or a deep freeze, um, we're typically able to work through just about any type of weather calamity. It doesn't slow us down. Um, but we also know that having to pay for these city services that people have come to expect at the highest, at the highest and, and best quality customer service we can deliver them with. We also know that we don't want to overburden our citizens. We've done a couple of interesting things at the city of Grand Prairie that I think at least on the city portion of your property tax. I know everybody thinks of their property tax as the bottom line, what's it cost me? But we try to remind folks, hey, you've got a school district You've got a hospital district, you've got a county 
community college district. You may also have some other um, little taxing entities built into there too, but uh, City of Grand Prairie is only about 23, 24% of your total tax bill. And we actually put pen to paper, we did the math. Um, budget year 2019 to 2020, we increased the homestead exemption to 5,000, which reduces the value on the city portion of your property taxes. So you get less, you're getting taxed on the less of a lesser value of your home on the city side. And then we did the math again and realized we took a look at maybe reducing the tax rate um, versus increasing the homestead exemption and the homestead exemption won out because it actually put more money back into the property owner's pockets. And we increased the homestead exemption to 10% of the total value. So that was a real big, uh, a real big number to give back to the citizens of Grand Prairie. And we did two other unique things that I'm not sure a, a lot of other cities are either offering. Um, one is a senior freeze. When you turn 65 or older, the city portion of your property tax freezes at that rate. It will never increase again. And then we also have a senior exemption at the age of 65 because we don't want our seniors having to sell their homes and move out because they can no longer afford it, at least what we can control on the city side. And that senior exemption is an additional 45,000. So if you're 65 or older, you get to stack all three of those homestead exemptions. So we're working innovatively to try to give our, our citizens, our residents some property tax relief in that aspect. Um, and every time, you know, I think we're going to see property taxes continue, our property valuations continue to rise because of the popularity of this Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Cool. So I want to rewind to a previous bond election and this, Steve, this is for you. This is a conversation that you shared with a lot of us several times when you're chief of police and. I think it was shortly after you took over that role in Grand Prairie, there was a bond election. And one of the things that you were asking for was more squad cars. And the idea behind that, and I'm gonna paraphrase what you told everybody, which you'll do a much better job is, is if I have more cars out in the neighborhoods, fewer bad things are gonna happen because it's a natural deterrent. Is that a fair way to surmise it? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, so I, that was a successful bond election that put cars uh, in neighborhoods for officers that lived in Grand Prairie, they took the car home. You have that natural deterrent. And that was before some of the advancements that we've had in things like community Wi-Fi, or everybody talks about 5G. I know I've talked a lot about 5G and CBRS and things like that. If you fast forward, a lot of those squad cars now, they have mobile routers in them because you have to you know, like everybody else, everybody goes through this digital transformation for a phase in their company or their city. So your officers or Chief Cincy now, his officers, have a lot more data entry type stuff that they have to do. Do they have to always go back into, into a common area to be able to upload that data or are they always using a cellular network? How do you kind of reconcile what you were talking about years ago before everybody had a body camera on and everything was hyper-connected? How are you getting that information in real time where it needs to go? Yeah, great questions. I'm gonna, I wanna talk, I'm gonna take first part of the conversation and then I'll go into the second part. So yeah, about 10 years ago, I was very shorthanded uh, in numbers of police officers and we were getting ready to commence on a multi-year hiring plan. But my thinking was, hey, if we, if we implemented a take-home car program, so, you know, we have X number of police officers in Grand Prairie that work patrol. I don't like to divulge that exact number, but let's just say that three quarters of those live in Grand Prairie, and it's a high number. So three quarters of our patrol officers live in the city. And I talked to the city manager and our thinking was, hey, if we gave every patrol officer the ability to, to drive a marked squad car home, that's a force multiplier because we would encourage them to drive those vehicles off duty. So, you know, for a police officer, it's a great deal. Many times prevented them from having to buy a second vehicle, particularly if they have a young family. 
They can drive it anywhere in the city, off duty or on duty. Well, when they're driving up and down the road, the bad guys don't know if you're on duty or off duty. It looks like there's police officers everywhere. Well, it worked. We put a significant number of police cars out into the community and we implemented a perception that we had many, many more officers on the department than we did just for that take home car program. I still, to, to this day, Chief says and I get compliments on, man, we see police officers everywhere. Well, our officers are active and hardworking, but because we demand that, but, but what they're also seeing are a lot of these take home squad cars uh, that are, that are uh, many times off duty. So that, that, that program probably cost us three to $400,000 more every year in fleet cost. And you're thinking, well, Steve, why is that a good deal for the community? Well, I'll tell you why it's a good deal. Feeling of safety is just as, as important as crime rate. So the citizens feel safer, safer, but fast forward, 10 years later, crime in our city is down, and this is real data, not, not numbers, not, not magic numbers. Crime is down almost 45% in 10 years. Do, do you understand that the cost of a 45% crime reduction is a savings well over that $300,000, $400,000 a year extra in fleet cost? So we're paying three or $400,000 more a year in fleet cost. 45% crime decrease saves us a lot more than $400,000 a year. So again, there's a net gain for the community. And now to Jason, to your point exactly, we, we, when we have data entry, the way it used to work, well, the way it used to work is when I was a young officer, you write a report, the next day it gets approved by the sergeant, the next day it goes to a data entry clerk and you know, four or five days later, you have a report in the system. Well, we're very reliant on technology. We're very involved in evidence-based policing, which is where are the trends happening now and how do we match our resources in the right locations now to prevent, deter, and apprehend crime. We no longer just go out and drive around a beat. We have proven hotspots. We use technology, not just man and, and, and woman power with squad cars, but license plate readers, surveillance video, a lot of technology. But one of the pieces of technology is immediate data entry. So now when we have a call or a, or a police report and they put it into the computer, in, in their mobile computer, in their squad car, there's multiple hotspots around the city geographically placed. When they drive into that hotspot, not just at the main station, that data is automatically uploaded into our records management system, but it doesn't stop there. Our in-car camera video and our on-body camera video, our officer on-body camera is also uploaded. Sergeant gets a call from a citizen who's complaining about something an officer did, they can real-time real download that video, well, almost real-time, and see what that video showed that that officer did or didn't do. So technology has been a force multiplier in efficiency, but also responsiveness and ultimately savings. We could talk a full day about how technology has worked as a force multiplier. Hey, look, Jason, let me ask you, let me, let me give you a quiz. How much do you think it costs to put one police officer out into your city every year with salary and benefits? Just fully a, loaded. Huh? Fully loaded. I, I'm going in North Texas, mm -hmm. I guess one and a quarter. Yeah. So you're pretty close. So if you take uniform fleet salary benefits, you're looking at $150,000 a year. I can't afford to put a cop on every corner anymore. So what we've done is we've leveraged technology, you know, and, and, and it's not just the sexy things like surveillance video, uh, you know, uh, uh, license plate readers, you know, speed trailers with embedded video. It's also that immediate data entry that makes uh, our jobs much more efficient and then loads that data into our RMS to provide that intelligence but that goes back into our uh, real-time crime center. So we've got a space, a big, a big room in the police station. It's a real-time crime center. All those video feeds are going live back into that center. So just think of, you know, that's one of the, one of the many reasons, but one of the big reasons that our crime is down so much is we, we're working smarter instead of, you can't just throw people at the problem always. You have to think about how do I leverage technology 
to, to increase that efficiency. And how, how are those, uh, I guess, for the on officer, the body cameras, the on car, or the data entry, how is that all connected right now? Is that all mobile, or are you all doing anything with FirstNet, private FirstNet networks, or are you doing anything with Wi-Fi, or is it a combination? Yeah, right now we have the same vendor for body-worn cameras that we do in-car cameras. It all goes to the cloud. Um, you know, we, we learned, and that's where your big costs are. With, with video, whether it's in-car or, or body-worn, the big cost is not the hardware. That's the small cost. The big cost is your storage. We mm. put everything into the, a secured cloud. Yes, we are actively working with other agencies in the state of Texas on FirstNet. That is a, that's more of a unified effort from a regional perspective mm. uh, through that dedicated uh, bandwidth um, is, is in lieu of an individual department uh, initiative you know more than I do about the dedicated bandwidth for public safety, particularly in an emergency. When everything goes down, we've got to have some dedicated uh, space there for our police and fire to be able to communicate with each other. In the last 10 years, we have completely regionalized our radio communications. So um, early on as a chief, we were able to save the city a million dollars. And council member, remember that I saved you a million dollars. Uh, we were putting in a new radio system. Well, it just so happened Arlington needed one. So instead of, you know, having, you know, four towers in Grand Prairie and three towers in Arlington, we said, hey, why don't we do this together as a regional effort? And we did. We actually did save a million dollars. We used the same vendor. So now if we have a pursuit that goes uh, from Grand Prairie to the west into Arlington or Fort Worth, the officers we don't have to talk through a dispatcher on a telephone. Now we just turn the, the channel on our radio and we have a regional communication ability with our neighbors to the, to the west. And now uh, Dallas has been a little slower, but now they're becoming on board. So as we pursue to the east, we have that same regional ability to, to seamlessly speak to other police agencies uh, just by turning a knob on our, on our in-car uh, radio. It's, it's amazing based on where things were back in 1984 when I started. <laughs> 1984 when you started, I was fourth grade. Yeah, I started when I was 10. That's why I still look so young, Jason. I, I, well, I remember that 5K, you still beat me by two minutes, so. <laughs> hey, it's, it's old man strength. Yeah. Imagine so, though, what that kind of technology could do for the other side of the equation, right? So you're saying like, the, the bond that was sold last time around, right? So they built all this stuff, they did all these things, they did the squad cars, right? So this time they're saying, okay, well, I'm gonna take this bond, I'm gonna build out all of this infrastructure. And the goal is to win more B2B business. That's what I heard, right? So like the idea is we're gonna build an infrastructure, we're gonna get a lot of businesses to want to come here, right? Yeah, to offset the burden on the residents. Yeah. So if I'm a business today, what is it that I'm looking for? Yeah, I could look for, obviously, a tax incentive. That's one of the things that we discussed, right? But to me, actually, as a person that runs a tech business, the number one thing I'm looking for, if I'm going to choose a place, is a place that has the best internet. Best internet? Yeah. And why? Well, because most places, you know, the, the municipality is not very well involved. It's not very involved at all, actually, in the way the internet is delivered. Right. What happens is that the municipality has kind of given up. Right. They just go and tell Comcast Charter, whatever, whatever, right, to go and just do something. Right. And then you just got to deal with it. Right. And so what you end up with that is you end up having as a, as a business being kind of you have no choice. Right. It's like, oh, if you go there, you know, you got to go deal with this one guy. Right. There's no one out there, or at least very few people out there, I think, who are thinking from the perspective of the city and saying, oh, you know what we should do to go get people to want to come here? is to like build an insanely awesome internet infrastructure, right? One that is far in excess of what a private company would do and kind of along the same lines of what was being said about, you know, what was it was $87 a month and I get mm -hmm. all this stuff, right? So could you imagine that if somebody who is that efficient, who for $87 a month can give you with all of those 24 by seven services, you know, could somehow 
you know, tack on a dollar to that or something like that, or two dollars there, or from the case of, you know, obviously the, the businesses, obviously be more money, right? But using that level of efficiency, bringing the best internet that anyone could possibly imagine. Greg, Steve, have y'all ever looked at water as a service for most municipalities? Y'all are providing water, so you know how to operate a utility. Have you ever considered, or has the city considered, what would it take to make internet access a utility in the city of Grand Prairie for both business and for residential service? Yeah, we're, you know, looking, we're looking at it right now. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, go ahead, Steve. I, not since, not to my knowledge, since 2009, since I was first elected, did, did, have we been looking at doing any type of internet yeah. utility service to our city, but Evidently, city manager's office is exploring that right now. <laughs> yeah, so we're, let me tell you. That's a meeting. That's a forthcoming meeting, I guess. Well, I'll tell you how it came up. It actually came up as a result of the pandemic and so many kids virtually learning. You know, here's the way we see it. The families with resources are always going to pay a provider to get faster service. That's mm -hmm. probably just going to always be the way it is, is my gut feeling. But we have a fair number of citizens, believe it or not, that, that can't pay for that service, right? So what they're doing is they're working off of no service or, you know, older technology, maybe a LTE off of a cell phone, right? Well, that makes it dip, that's made it difficult for some of these kids to get their, their schoolwork done. So as part of, uh, you know, the American Rescue Plan and our CARES reimbursement dollars, we're actually talking to our school district you know, one of the things that we're exploring, haven't really gotten to any decision points, is can we provide broadband for our citizenry, particularly in underserved communities, because everything is now based certainly more and more on technology, and a big part of that is obviously connectivity. Um, you know, the downside is it's a pretty it's a pretty significant cost for a relatively small area you all know that there has to be a lot of infrastructure put up. But yeah, we're actually looking at that. So if we hit another pandemic, how do we try to help provide a service that we can ensure that basic functions uh, are able to be performed and, and part of that would be education. Now, you all bring up an in interesting point that we haven't looked at. Um, hey, do we just charge a, you know an extra couple of dollars on your water bill to provide internet service to everyone? Right. Well, again, I think there's I think that sounds good, but anytime you go to the citizens for any type of fee, the citizens are already paying for that service. Would say, well, I don't want to pay an extra two dollars on my water bill because I'm already paying you know X provider you know a hundred dollars a month for that internet service. So really, what we're focusing on now would be broadband for uh, those underserved communities that don't currently have that. But I, I agree with you guys. I think, I think as, as, as cities move forward, that may be refined to the point to where they're offering more of a, if you will, you all know the proper terminology, but a, a citywide hotspot, you know, to where you don't have to drive up in front of, of a McDonald's to get Wi-Fi. So I, I think, I think that's, uh, you know, self-driving vehicles. I think a lot of that's in that same conversation when we talk about smart cities are, you know, tra transportation, but certainly wireless infrastructure to where a city does become a, 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 an enormous hotspot. And there's a lot of layers to that connectivity, whether it's a community Wi-Fi or you fast forward into the future where you do have the autonomous vehicles. And I know I mean, professionally, this is something that all of us work on. So if you were starting out and looking in, you know, we'll have things where we explore game bandwidth product and looking at using the right technology. There's not one of them that's for every single use case. It's a combination, right, Simon? So kind of as a first step, if I took a community with 200,000 people and if I start just to draw some circles around, here's where I've got some my economically disadvantaged people in this area. I've got some here and here. That's a starting point, but eventually you get to kind of, I want to light up the whole town. And sometimes it's not just, you know, if it's me, I can tell you that 
and, and I've had to study this professionally a lot. And gosh, my oldest kid was a sophomore in high school. And we would go to soccer practice. She was on my mobile hotspot. She, she's doing all of her geometry work in the car. And almost the entire class, even well before any kind of pandemic, half of her classes were online, even though she was physically going to the campus. And I don't know that if you look at what's happened in the last year that you're gonna have 100% of your students return back to the classroom. There's all kinds of other conversations people are exploring there. But when you start building this together, and this is kind of the problem with smart cities, everybody likes to go in and talk about autonomous vehicles or remote surgeries. The reality is we're years and years away from that, right? And, you know, the promise of 5G or 6G and contextual internet and all those things. But if you were starting right now, Simon, being in this space, Reed being in this space, where would you start? I think I would start with uh, building upon things that have been said, right? So if you already have a plan in place to go and try to attract businesses, right? I think you use this as a way to attract them and you take that money. Right? And then you can use that to go and do some of the things that have been said, right? So if you think about it, right, the amount of money that it takes to go and run, you know, a few fiber optic cables to the few places where these, you think these businesses are going to be, that's a tiny amount of money in the grand scheme of things. So rather than saying, oh, let's go and build a gigantic Wi-Fi blanket around the whole city, which is going to cost a gazillion dollars and which has dubious ROI in terms of actual dollars, right? You could say that, okay, it does lots of great things, but collecting money from that's gonna be hard. As opposed to saying, oh, well, if we build up a fiber optic infrastructure and our goal is to provide something crazy, like eventually, you know, 10, 100 gigabit connectivity to the basements of a few buildings where we want these businesses. We're in Texas, buddy, we don't have basements. All right, not basements, I don't know. First, our freeze table is 18 inches. (laughs) then what you can do, right, is you can collect that money, take that money, and use that money to go and pay for some of the things that were spoken about, right? It's like, all right, so you have a few underserved communities, right? What's the minimum that you need to hit that? What would be the most efficient way? Obviously, it would be with Wi-Fi, long range, 2.4 only, right? Because, you know, everyone's got a Wi-Fi device, right? So you don't want to have to pay for endpoints for people. That would be crazy. You know, that would be the efficient way to do it. The efficient way to do it would be to take the money that you could get from, you know, the business side, doing that with the least amount of capital possible. Yeah. Well, Wi-Fi is definitely going to give you your lowest cost per bit once you actually get rolling because everything that's cellular-based is metered. Yeah. And Reed, you and I have talked about that. How much much are we paying for a SIM card and a squad car? Too much. Way too much. I'm not pandering because we have a, the former chief of police on it. We are, we, we, it's, it's way too expensive to do at scale. Um, it's, it's not, um, there are much better ways that we could outfit the communities. I think starting in uh, the lower income areas are so incredibly crucial because as, we, as technology has advanced and as the more um, economically advantaged organization or excuse me, parts of the community have advanced, there's like a rubber banding that typically happens in tech but they're not rubber banding back. There's just like, they're just kind of left there. Uh, and if we don't ever make a step now to get them caught up in some capacity, they're always gonna be lagging behind. So I would say like th- there needs to be a massive infrastructure play in those places first before other places uh, could get the infrastructure. I mean, that, that's especially like the underserved, part, underserved parts of that community. I mean, they, they still need those 24 by seven services. I mean, sometimes even more so than other aff, more affluent communities. So I, I would put my eggs in that basket first to get them caught up so that way they can be included. Yeah. It, then if you start building out this massive Wi-Fi network, whether it's fed by fiber or some kind of cellular backhaul or 60 gigahertz or you know whatever the you know, great flavor of backhaul of the day is, which it's always kind of moving around. Fiber is obviously always going to be the best, right, Summon? But once I have that, now I've got a new skill set that probably doesn't exist right now in a municipality, right? Yeah. And it's not just about the RF connectivity because it's going to be a radio of some sort, probably Wi-Fi. But now you've got a support cost and an ongoing, you know, operating and maintaining a network 
Then, then I have a security element. How do I actually get people on board? And how do I do that safely? You do this every day. Yeah, I mean, so. I build automation for that. So that's, that's got to be the answer, right? For something like this where you've got no existing you know, skill set. You don't have like a lot of people doing this, right? You're starting from scratch, right? It has to be through automation. There's no other way. Yeah, there's only so many AT&Ts and Boingos and Verizons of the world that have that skill set to actually be able to come in. So then you have the security elements, and I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about internet security, where there's constantly bad things. And not to alarm you guys on this, I'm sure, Chief, if you're thinking about a community-based Wi-Fi or kind of connectivity, this stuff has crossed your mind. People are talking to you about it, but micro-segmentation certainly fits in here, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's the only way that you would do it. Right? Can you talk about what that actually means without, if I do it, I might sound like a broken propeller. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to go build one of these large-scale networks, right, where you're going to try to put 10, 20, 30,000 people on, right, the only reasonable way to do it would be to build 10, 20, 30,000 little networks, right? because you certainly don't want two people to be on the same network. The problem is, is that that traditionally costs a gazillion dollars, right? And so what you'd want to do is you'd want to do it in software, right? You'd want to do virtualized, you know, kind of networking for these people where although they're sharing the same gigantic physical, right, you split it up into lots and lots and lots of little logical pieces. And you'd have to do that with automation, right? Because once again, you could traditionally do that with a person typing things in, but that would probably be inefficient a long time. <laughs> at the kind of scales we're talking about. Right? That's going to be worse than what Chief was, or I always call you Chief, but I'll just say Steve. You can call me Steve, but I think it's now maybe a, a time to examine what, what's in that glass, because I thought that was iced tea. <laughs> no, 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 it's not, it's not iced tea. This is red breast Irish whiskey. <laughs> red breast Irish yeah. whiskey. You yeah, you, you you guys are highlighting the enormity of the of the you know initiative here, but fast forwarding, you know, I think a decade or two down the road, I think I think Wi-Fi becomes a, a service that the city contracts out and maybe offers, right? So, to to me, I, I think that's where we're all believe that we're headed. Wi-Fi becomes like you know, a landline telephone was back in the day. I think it just becomes another potentially amenity that the city offers. I think what we can do short term is I think we can set up some regional hotspots to help our disadvantaged uh, neighborhoods with education. I think at city, we've looked at this as well. I think at some of our larger city venues, we have a secure Wi-Fi hotspot to where you know when you come to Epic Central, you can also enjoy that free Wi-Fi, right? Because you're going to, why don't people go to Starbucks, right? You know, because they want to be able to go sit, relax, and use the, the free Wi-Fi. But what do they also do while they're there? They buy a cup of coffee. So, yeah, I think, you know, at least our city, we're thinking about those things that when you come to the venue, you know, a wireless experience, whether on your laptop, your iPad, or your cell phone, is going to be part of that experience. And, and the better that, that we can make that experience potentially uh, through Wi-Fi as opposed to, you know, four or 5G, the better. I think we saw a great need for that too as the pandemic slowly, well, not slowly, when it first hit a year ago, uh, there were stories, my wife is a school teacher in, in Grand Prairie and there were stories of families taking their minivan up to the school parking lot because they could log on from the school parking lot and their, kid, their kids could do their homework. Um, not the most ideal situation, but at least it was, it was something that they could overcome a problem because they did not have internet access at home. Yeah, Greg, that's a great point. We had a lot of families going to the McDonald's parking lot. Yeah. Your point, so yeah, I think you're spot on there. So, you know, if virtual learning is going to be part of the future, then what does the school district you know, and, and where the city can help, uh, how do we help facilitate that? Because guys, look, you know, not a lot of things more important than the education of our children. Right. No, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in 10 years when we see a bunch of kids that missed a, a year effectively. Yeah. So there's a lot of them that if they're not connected, you know, they're not paying attention. Yeah. Amen. So um, any 
thoughts, questions for Greg, Steve? Uh, no, this, what you guys are working on is incredibly exciting, and it's nice to see that part of a municipality can actually, at the government level, get ahead of this and use uh, a much more business-minded strategy to offload the cost from the homeowners there, ultimately. It's going to benefit them. Uh, it's going to benefit the city as well, and ultimately, the more people that you have uh, moving to your city, the more taxable revenue you have, therefore, the larger the amount of money you have to work with. So it's, it's pretty great that you guys have gotten ahead of this in such a... Uh, um, I guess a non-traditional way. Um, so th thanks for the hard work on that. And uh, I'll be moving here soon. You know, we think of ourselves a little bit differently. I think a lot of governments, a lot of cities, hey, we're gonna process the work and provide minimum levels of service. We tend to think of ourselves as quality of life centric. So part of that quality of life is not just maintaining the status quo, but how do we improve that experience and that's why we're very uh, amenable to technology. Everything that we do to enhance the experience of quality life or improve the level of quality of life, it's all got a technology component. So I, th I think because we maybe see ourselves a little bit differently and because we also live in the community, then we tend to think less uh, process completion and more of experience, quality of life driven uh, priority and focus. Hmm. And, and I'll let our, my new friend from Chicago, uh, I'll give you a little insight to our city too. You know, we have some of the best and brightest and experts in their field, uh, whether that be public works department, our environmental department, our police and fire departments. And, and I told Steve when we first hired him as our police chief, I said, I'm on the finance committee. I'm not a police officer. I'm not going to tell you how to run the police department but you tell me what tools and equipment and, and manpower you need to do the job we're asking you to do, and we'll figure out how to fund it. One thing that we promote in our city that maybe is different from other cities, as Steve just mentioned, Tom Hart, our current city manager, has developed a philosophy, and I know Jason's very familiar with it. He's probably heard Tom give this speech five or six times, and that's create raving fans and deliver world-class service and that comes from a business aspect if, if if we're not able to do that then we need to find something else to do that's great man that's a great way to end this so guys thank you all for joining thanks for coming in from out of town steve greg go close off your bond provide great services thanks guys thank you, jason good to meet Hi. everybody jason good to see you thank you yeah see yeah. you soon thank you thank guys. you we really appreciate you. Thanks.